Well, I am in this series called Give Me Faith. And it's kind of it's like, it's like a heart cry to, to increase our faith. And as I was preparing for today's message, I thought, you know what, I want to, I want to just have a little bit of interactive fun. And, and this is, this is going to be fun. I don't want you to get too, too uptight about it. Usually I don't do this, but I want to do this one, one, one time here. Just this one time. I, I, I want you to tell a person next to you, I want you to come up with like a 10-second or less definition of faith. Now, I, I know, please understand, you know, I know you're thinking, that, wait a minute, I don't know if I can do that. Trust me, I know, I understand. I, it's the same deal with me. But, but uh, because it's, it is, it's just like, okay, what is faith? Well, I want you to think of just a quick definition of faith. What would that be like? And I want you just to try it out because what's going to happen is you say it'll kind of help you to remember what, you're, what you may be thinking about what faith is. So turn to some people around you. You've got about 10 seconds. Just, just share a quick definition of faith. 10-second definition. Just go. Anything, anything, real quick, real quick, anything. Just tell somebody, here's what I think it is. I think some of y'all are selling Advocare. Stop right now. Okay, stop right now. Uh, okay, how many of you? How many of you think that when you did that, you you nailed it? You, you feel like you did you did pretty good. You nailed it. Okay. All right. Good. 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 How many of you are like, eh? I had no clue. I was just kind of saying saying some stuff. Would you Would you raise your hand? See, I I get that, and I totally understand that, and that's that's really part of why I'm sharing this message today, because uh, you know today's message is called faith. Forensics, and I didn't. I was not here trying to make you feel awkward, but but I, I thought you know it's, it's kind of like those feelings. I'm using this word forensics, which kind of sounds scientific and, and makes you feel like you're kind of going to the doctor. So I wanted you to feel like you're at the doctor. You know, when you're at the doctor and they tell you to ask, say things and do things, and you're just like, this is awkward. I don't want to do this. Well, that's what today I'm just kind of getting your heart prepared for it. Now, if we're going to ask God, those words, give me faith, then it would be good for us to know what we're really asking for. And that's what I'm talking about today. I, just, I want to make this as clear as possible. Now, last week, if you were here, my message was confrontational. Man, that was like in your face. It was, it was good. It's kind of fun to, to preach messages like this. Today, uh, you know, really, I, I was actually confronting you about the activity of faith in your life. Now, today, though, my, my message is very different. My message is more instructional because this message, it's going to help us to grow by learning. That's what this message is about. So uh, I want us to first of all look at a passage of Scripture in the book of Hebrews. And uh, Hebrews chapter 11, verse 1, the, the guy who wrote Hebrews, he's one of the, there are very few places in the Bible that we don't know exactly who the author is. And this one, we're not quite sure who wrote it. Some people say Paul the Apostle, and other people say it was one of his disciples named Apollos. I tend to lean, lean in that direction. But there's a guy who, this guy was, was very learned, was very educated. And, and here's one thing for sure, that he, he, he summarizes what faith is in this one scripture. And the, here it is, Hebrews 11, 1. Faith is, so you know that he's going to give some type of a definition or an example. Faith is confidence. Confidence in what you're hoping for, okay? So you're hoping for something, there's confidence. And it's assurance. So it's two things. It's confidence in what you're hoping for, and it's assurance about what you don't see. That's what faith is. Is Now, today, I'm going to be sharing five statements of what faith 
should look like. Now, the analytics in this room, you guys are so excited. It's like, yes, he's giving a five-point message, and it's teaching-oriented. We're talking about forensics. You're, you're excited. You're thrilled. You have your notebooks out. You're taking notes. You just can't wait for this. And, and, and uh, because you're like, you know, you know, Pastor, over the past few weeks, he's been just like giving us these one-line messages. Just remember this one line. Now I'm in five for you, so you're going to enjoy this. Medical students, medical professionals, you are very pumped right now because I simply use the word forensic. And so I, this is going to be a lot of fun. So, but I have these five faith forensic items, but I didn't, I couldn't bring myself to call them faith forensic items. Number one, so I, I took out the word forensics and I just put in factoids. Factoids is a little more cool anyway. So I have these five faith factoids. I don't even know what a factoid is, but it worked great for the outline. All right, five faith factoids, and here's the first faith factoid. I think they're called factoids. It's because I made them up. All right. Here, here is the first one is faith is governed by laws and principles, but can't be reduced to a magic formula. I'll say it again. The words here are important. I thought through each word. Faith is governed by laws and principles, but it can't be reduced to a magic formula. Formula. Now, there, there is some teaching, and everyone is kind of in a different place when it comes to understanding what faith is. But there, there's, a, there's a lot of teaching that is, I would call it abusive and even misleading. And I, I'd say the Dallas-Fort Worth area and probably the Tulsa-Oklahoma area uh, is, is best known for this type of teaching. And, and faith misunderstandings, quite, quite honestly, can be problematic. Uh, there was this older lady that I once knew, and I'm just telling you, she's probably one of the most precious, sweetest ladies I have ever known, loved Jesus with all her heart. I mean, she was classy, she was sharp, and she was vibrant, full of life, full of the Spirit of God, and she had good knowledge of the Scriptures, and she was just fantastic to be around. You always left encouraged when you spent some time with her. But, but she made this statement to me one time, and she said, Pastor, if you have enough faith, you're not going to die. I said, really? She goes, yeah. And she says, and I know this, I'm not going to die because I'm keeping my faith high. Okay. Uh, and, 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 and then I just kind of listened to that. I thought, wow, you know, I, I don't want to, I, I like her a lot. What am I going to say to her? I want her to stay alive too. So, so how do I deal with all this? And, and, and then, but then I would notice sometimes like if bad things would happen, the sweet lady would just simply tell people, you don't have enough faith. That's why this is happening to you. And if she ever got sick, she would ask me as a pastor to pray for her so that she would get more faith. She wouldn't pray that the sickness would be healed. She would pray that she would get more faith because she said she didn't want me to say or for her to say that she was sick. And, and this is something that some people have called hyper faith, but the truth is that's not even really faith at all. I mean, try telling this to the disciples who died for their faith with great faith. You see, God is way too big to be confined into a little formula because the formula, if anyone gives you a formula for faith, I'm going to say that's not it. That's not faith, and that's not good, because God is bigger than formulas. So, very simple. The first faith, first faith factoid is this. Faith is governed by laws and principles, but can't be reduced to a magic formula. Here's faith factoid number two. Our faith cannot be in 
our faith. Our faith is in the faithfulness of God. See, faith is confidence. It's, it's this confidence for what you're hoping for. It's this assurance of what you don't see. And the Bible is a book that is full of stories of faithless people who are being rescued by a faithful God. That God who gives us faith. That's why we say and we sing, give me faith. So if your faith is simply in faith itself, then you're going to lose because there's nothing more that's out there. It all has to go back to God. In fact, Timothy, he was a young preacher who, who preached in the city of, of Ephesus. He was kind of the city pastor, so to speak. He said this. He said, if we are faithless, he remains faithful. So in other words, God is the one who has the faith. He is faithful even when we are faithless. Now, my faith is in Jesus, but it's my faith is not in my ability to believe in Jesus. So my faith is not based upon my thoughts. My faith, my faith is not built upon or, or foundation is not upon feelings or emotions because sometimes I don't feel God. Sometimes I don't see God. Sometimes I don't even see his activity so what I do is I rely on my, if I rely on my thoughts and my feelings about faith, then it's going to let me down. And my faith, therefore, is in the wrong place. I'm getting some feedback. Is it change mics? All right. All right. They gave me the change mic signal. All right. There we go. Better there, right? Yeah, thank you. Well, thank you. <laughs> so in the, in the book of Genesis... This is all through the Bible. It was God who was the faithful one when faithless Adam and Eve disobeyed him, and they rebelled against God's commands. You see, it was a faithful God that found a faithful man named Noah at the time when everyone else in the world was faithless. God rescued Noah and God rescued his family, keeping the human race alive. I saw the movie. I know how it works. It was also a faithful God that found a faithless man, Abraham, who chose to listen to God and then obey God, and then he became the father of a great nation. It was a faithful God who found a man by the name of Joseph that God, that, that God chose for Joseph to be rejected and abused by his family and even become a human trafficking victim. Not wasn't God wanting that to happen to him, but he allowed that to happen so that Joseph could be taken to another country and he could be raised up as second in command to Egypt's Pharaoh, ultimately rescuing his own family and an entire nation out of famine. See, it's a faithful God that found Moses and pulled God's people out of Egyptian slavery because Moses was not being very faithful, but God used a faithless man to give him faith, and he changed. It was a faithful God who raised up this man by the name of Joshua, and he led God's people through, uh, who, who were basically very faithless people. He led them, and, 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 and he led them into this promised land after all of the faithless people died off. 
took him into a new land. It's, it's a faithful God who gave these judges and these leaders over Israel who would help deliver the faithless people from bondage and affliction because they started crying out to God. God answered in his faithfulness. You see, it was a faithful God who raised up a faithful shepherd by the name of David and took him to kingship and, and took it away from a faithless man by the name of Saul to lead a people who didn't have faith, to lead faithless people to the faithful promises of God. You getting this? And then, then from his lineage, David, came Jesus Christ, the faithful one, God incarnate to rescue people from their sins because we tend to be faithless. So what's the consistent theme throughout the Bible? That people have faith? No. The consistent theme of the Bible is this. God is faithful. Throughout the Bible, in the book of Acts, you know, there's this story of how the, 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 the good news of Jesus spread throughout the world at that time. In fact, entire cities were turned upside down and socioeconomic systems were reversed and transformed. And the God of the New Testament is a faithful God. And that same God allows you to breathe every breath that you have taken. And he is there to champion you, to lift you up on your highest mountaintops and on your lowest valleys as well. You see, it's not your faith that pulls this off. It's actually the faithfulness of God. So my faith is in the faithful God. Now, if your faith is low right now because of a circumstance or a lack, a setback, maybe even a bad decision that you've made or, or, or an action of another person or a group of people, know this. It's the faithfulness of of God that will pull you through even when your faith isn't there. So again, our faith cannot be in our faith. Our faith has to be in the faithfulness of God. That's faith factoid number two. Here we go, faith factoid number three. You ready? Here it is. (laughs) Faith is not a drug to sedate you through a reality that you hate. Faith is a force to transport you to another realm of reality. Now, a lot of people that I found, and this, is, this message is built upon experience of just being around this for a long time. A lot of people will use faith as a coping mechanism, so to speak. And, and faith isn't a coping tool. It's like a weapon of mass destruction against your status quo. Faith is not some spiritual form of ambient that just helps you drift into sleep and when you have restlessness. You know, it's not some kind of a crazy magic pill. Faith is not there to just help you cope with your situations. God gives us faith so that we can change our situations. See, faith, it's active. It it absolutely cannot be passive. It doesn't even function in passivity. Now, earlier I asked you to share your definition of faith, and I want to thank you guys for doing that. I want to thank you guys for doing something that was totally crazy, awkward. And again, it wasn't about trying to put you on the spot or to make you feel bad. That really wasn't it. It wasn't trying to make some of you feel smart because you had the perfect answer or make some of you feel stupid. You're like, I don't know, but do you want some advocate? Yeah. I, I, I actually had a reason for this. I had a reason why I wanted you to do this because... At the very beginning of this message, I gave you a definition, a definition from the book of Hebrews. 
Now, as a theologian, a guy who studies the scriptures and all that kind of stuff, I'll say it is a very good definition. But even if you gave that as your definition of faith, it is a generalized and a rough definition at best. I say, well, pastor, how can you do that? That's God's word. No, that's the truth. It is. It is a, it is a definition, definitely. But it's generalized and it's rough at best. You see, we can't make it a science. We really can't. See, the old, the, what's interesting is that is the only definition of faith in the entire Bible, and I find that very, very interesting. Those who enjoy formulas kind of struggle with this, but we always have to remember that the Bible is a collection of literature. And when you put all of that literature together, it forms a story. It tells the story of Jesus from beginning to end. So what I find in the Bible over and over and over are not definitions of faith, this repeated definition over and over. Instead, what I find are stories of faith in action and stories of faith not being used. And basically, Based upon the stories that we find in the scriptures, we arrive at a better understanding of faith. See, the Bible's full of all of these pictures and about the demonstrations of faith. And if I had time to read it, I would read all of Hebrews chapter 11. In fact, I read through it again this morning. And, but, but it starts with, in Hebrews chapter 11, it starts with these words. It says, faith is confidence in what we hope for and assurance about what we do not see. But it's interesting, he only gives one sentence to define faith and then follows up with it with multiple allusions to stories that are found in the Bible that illustrate faith, faith in people, and how faith works. So essentially what the author here is doing is this writer, he is basically referring you back to the stories that are already written, saying, you want to know what faith is? Look at this story. You want to know how faith works? Look at this story. Look how it works. This is faith. So we begin to understand faith when we immerse ourselves in the stories of the Scriptures. And that's why I love the Scriptures so much. Because faith is assurance. It's not some abstract theoretical proposition or anything like that. It's not a science. It's not a mathematical formula. It's not some drug that you take to help you fall asleep easier in the midst of life's challenging pain. What faith is, it is simply this. It's assurance that moves you forward into this new realm of reality based upon God's promises. There's this cool story that's found in the Bible, and, and there, there's, a, there's a book in the Bible called Second Kings, and, and the, the kings, the stories of the kings, these were written about all of the, 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 the exploits of God and the highs and the lows of, uh, that, that happened in Israel for many, many years. And in Second Kings chapter 6, there's a story of a guy by the name of Elisha. That sounds like Elijah. It's not Elijah's wife. When I was a kid, I used to think Elisha and Elijah, they were married. You know, they had like the, there's the Shah and there's the Jah. You know, Jah is a guy. Shah is a girl. I, I, I believe that forever. I even saw the little pictures when I was, when I was in, in the Sunday school class. You guys raised in Sunday school. You had the flannel graphs and all those. But yeah, they would put those. And I saw Elisha had long hair and he wore a dress. So I was sure that had to be Elijah's wife. But it really, really wasn't because then I realized, wait, he's got a beard. Uh, he's not the bearded woman. So, so 
Elisha, he was this guy who succeeded Elijah. Elijah was a powerful prophet. Elisha was a man who succeeded him. He was his servant. He served him and worked with him. And then after he left, when Elijah departed the earth, Elisha took the mantle of his ministry, and he carried on the ministry of Elijah, but it was with double effectiveness, and it was with double the power of his former boss. Really cool story there. But one day, Elisha is in trouble. He and his people, they are surrounded by all of these chariots and these warriors of this opposing nation that are bent upon the annihilation of Israel. And so his servant comes running to him, and he says, Hey, master, master, we're under siege. The end is near. Everything's falling apart. This is not good. Ah, you're panicking. And then Elisha prayed. This is interesting because this is found in uh, 2 Kings chapter 6, verse 17. It says, Elisha prayed, and he said, Open his eyes, Lord, so that he may see. A simple prayer. And look at this. It says, Then the Lord opened the servant's eyes, and he looked and saw the hills full of horses and chariots of fire all around Elisha. In other words, angels, heavenly beings. So there was something that was happening in the invisible realm that the servant wasn't aware of, that his eyes were opened to by Faith, and that's what faith does. Faith opens your eyes so that we can see what God is already doing on our behalf. It opens your eyes that there is a God, and there's a God who's fighting for you, and there's a God who is faithful to you, and he is going to make a way. Now, I'm a pastor who doesn't deal with extremes, and, and it's my choice to lead a church that is as balanced as possible, and that's why I like to say we're Bible-based and Jesus-focused. We want to focus on what's important. We're not a church of extremes, but, but there is one extreme of people who basically worship faith for the sake of faith, and I think it's important to understand this because there's so much talk and chatter about it all. For example, I've said, one time I said before, I was like, oh, I have a headache. And this, this person said, you don't, don't you dare say you have a headache because if you say it, you're really going to have one. And I'm thinking, oh, okay. And then, then I said, no, don't say that. Just say, by the, by, by, in the name of Jesus, by the stripes of Jesus, I'm healed. And so I said, okay, okay. I said, well, by the stripes of Jesus, I'm healed. And by the way, do you have any Tylenol? Because, you know, I, I, I guess I believe that, but I'm also going to take some Tylenol. You understand? So what I do is I pray, and I take medicine. I pray, and I take my family to the doctor when they're sick, because faith must be accompanied with action. This is real important. Some people think that if you just have these happy faith thoughts, everything is going to be rosy. Well, obviously, they've never read the Bible because in Hebrews chapter 11, it says that some people have been sawn in half because they had so much faith. Now, you go explain that one because I don't hear the faith preachers preaching about that. You understand what I'm saying? That's true. Why did they get sawn in half? Because they had so much faith. It's not because they didn't have enough faith. Now, I've been doing ministry all of my life, and one of the greatest tragedies that I see, and I see this often, and it breaks my heart, is when people will walk away from church, they'll even walk away from relationship with God because they had faith, past tense, but things didn't work out the way that they expected or that they wanted. I just want to clearly say, I don't ever want that to be you. 
That's a struggle we all have to deal with. It's something we all have to face. I mean, there have been times I've just, I've just shouted to God and cried. It's like, God, it wasn't supposed to happen this way. God, I felt like you promised. God, where are you? This is not right, God. And then I hear nothing. You know what I'm talking about? See, but when we think about this, after all, the one that we model our faith after was a man who was beaten to a pulp and he was hanged naked in front of his city and his followers and his mother until he died like one of the worst felons died in his day and time. Why? Because he had faith. Now, so, so that is one extreme example of faith that we don't believe in. The other extreme example of faith is what I would call the, the passy and the blanky kind of faith. You know, put a pacifier, get a little blanky, you know, hold it close because it makes you feel warm and fuzzy, you know. I, I, I hear this like, I don't have a job, Pastor, but I have faith. Okay, good, good. Well, what are you doing with that faith? Praying a lot. That's good. That's good because I, I, I'm going to tell you something. I believe 100% in that. What I want you to do is to have faith that God can actually bring you a job. How do you do that? Well, go ahead and get out of bed at 4.30 a.m. Take a shower, shave, put some product in your hair, be styling in front of the mirror, you know, put a smile on your face, iron your clothes, dress for work, put together your resume, brush it up, make a bunch of copies, and hit the streets until you find a job and feed your family. And say, but what if I do that and nothing happens? Then the next day, you get up and you do it again. You see, you say, I don't have a job. Yes, you do have a job. You have a job of trying to find a job and work that job for 60 hours a week, and you'll find a job. You, you, you want a dream job? Then begin working it now. It's interesting. I've been reading some of the stories of people who went through the Great Depression. It was people who just kept insisting that they were going to find a way to work. They would work, they would get out, and they would even work for free until a person would pay for them. And those were the people that tended to prosper during the Great Depression. While others would sit back and say, oh, we're just going to starve to death, we're going to have faith. Well, it's not, honey, that is not faith. See, faith is getting out and doing something. Like, well, if, if God really wants me to work, which is kind of funny there, but I've heard, this, you know, if God, I've heard this before. If God really wants me to work, then the person that I talked to a few months ago, then they're going to call me up and they're going to hire me. And then I'm going, so in the meantime, I'm going to kind of rest in God's presence and wait for God. Yeah, that is, again, I'm not picking on people who don't have jobs. That just happens to be an example of something that I've seen and faced. And that's a joke. Do not ever blame your lack of a job on God and be calling it faith. Because the Bible says faith by itself, if it's not accompanied by action, is what? Whoa, did you know that was in the Bible? <laughs> it's dead. And he goes on to explain in this passage of Scripture that, that James, now this is Jesus' brother who said this. So he, I guess this, this guy would know that faith and actions work together. And, and faith is made complete when we do things that correspond with our faith. So faith is not a drug to sedate you through a reality that you hate. Faith is a force to transport you to another realm of reality. Okay, here's faith factoid number four. Hope is the blueprint. We talked about hope last week, but hope is the blueprint. Faith is the finished contract. So a lot of people 
think they're walking by faith, but in reality, what they're doing is they're standing in hope. And hope is good. The Bible says, though, that faith is the confidence in what we hope for. So you know that hope is right there at the beginning of the whole thing. When we hope for something, that means that we have a desire for it. But that's not faith. Just having a desire for something is not faith. So, so my faith is the connection between my desire or my hope for something and the manifestation of it. So hope, is it good? Absolutely it is. It's okay to hope for financial increase. It's okay to hope for a better tomorrow for your children and for your family. It's okay to hope for a car that works or a job that you love. Absolutely. In fact, the Bible says, it says, no good thing does he withhold from those whose walk is blameless. No good thing. Paul also says, take delight in the Lord, and he will give you the desires. Those are the things you hope for in your heart. So it's okay. It's good to hope for good things. But sometimes people say, well, I don't know if my hopes are right. I don't know if it's really the right thing to hope for. Well, the way to, to check that is to line it up with the Scriptures. The Scriptures is the Word of God. It's the Bible. And, and if, it, if it doesn't, if your hope doesn't line up with the Word of God, then it's an ungodly hope. Like, I had this. This really, really happened. I, again, being a pastor, you, for a long time, you get to deal with all kinds of fun stuff. This was one lady woke up to me angry and really upset about something that was just goofy, but she was just, I had a little bit of an attitude. She just came up to me and goes, I hope you die. And I, like, I looked at her and I said, wow. Sorry, but that's not a godly hope, so I'm just not going to have to, not going to be able to expect that. She just kind of looked at me puzzled. I was just, you know, saying, you know that's not a godly hope. So, so what we want to do is we want our aspirations and our hopes to line up with the Word of God. And if they don't, we simply lay them down. Now, there are also some things that are neutral. It's like, well, I'm going to look in the Bible and see if it's okay to hope that I get a car. Well, you're not going to find that they had chariots back then. Sorry, this is just not there. So there are things that are neutral, and it's okay to hope for those things. It's okay to hope that you're going to reach that sales goal. It's okay to hope that you're going to get those extra, that extra time off and have that vacation from your job. You, you need that vacation. But some are also very obvious. Maybe you're hoping God that uh, that hoping and that God will help you to walk in more purity. Well, I can tell you, you can bank on it that that is a godly hope. God wants you to be pure, so activate your faith and begin to do things that help you walk in purity. Because walking is walking; it means taking steps. So, what is hope? Hope is the blueprint of a preferred future. Now, some of you maybe you have hope that you'll have a child. But to turn that hope into faith, you need to do something. Some things to do. So you get married. You make a lifetime commitment to a person. And so that, that child, that future child will be able to raise, be raised with a mom and a dad. They're going to have both the feminine and the masculine perspectives in life. And you, you, you take that person out on a date. You take her to Bass Hall and you go watch, a, uh, you know, one of the things they do are those foo-foo things. And you go, go watch that and take her to the cupcakery, whatever it's called, the little cupcake place afterwards. And, and then get her some flowers and all of that. And, and then you... You know, you go to the bedroom and you do what married people do. In the Old Testament, they called it knowing each other. You know, it's like, I will, yeah, that's definitely knowing a person. But maybe you do all of that and nothing happens. Does that mean God doesn't love you? No, that means you just keep trying. Well, 
Still nothing happens. Well, then you see a fertility specialist and keep trying and keep praying. That is hope turned into faith because you're not just hoping at this point. There is faith involved because you are doing things. That's hope turned into faith. Action is involved. Now, I've heard people say, well, I'm praying for a baby. Well, my question is, what are you doing? Now, I've, I've, I definitely have heard this, that trying to have a baby is more fun than praying for a baby and hoping for a baby. It definitely works that way. So faith, here it is. Here's one. This is a tweetable moment. Faith can be fun, all right? You, only you will know what I said there. So, so, and you can definitely, definitely take that one to the bank. But hope is the blueprint. It's the desire. And faith is now trusting God of that future reality, praying for it, asking for it, and doing, 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 doing something about it. So you want faith? Then we need to stop thinking and start doing. Faith without a corresponding action is dead. So you hope that blueprint of the future, you act, which is then the contract of the future. And again, may, pick it on the baby situation. Maybe you're trying to have a baby and still nothing works. So then what do you do? You're going to quit on God and, and move on and say, forget it, God. Well, no, 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 you don't do that. You try another angle. Maybe you should adopt. That is still faith in action. So hope is the blueprint. Faith is the finished contract. Now we're ready for faith Factoid number five. I told you this is a teaching-oriented message right here. A lot of teaching, a lot of education here. Here it is. This faith factoid five, I have three sub-points. So, yes, you outline people. You're so excited. Here they are. I'm going to give them all to you all at once. Hearing the word initiates faith. Speaking the word activates faith. Doing the word demonstrates faith. What is the word? The word is the scriptures. It's the word of God. Three actions, you see action involved? Hearing, speaking, doing. Those are all verbs. They're action-oriented. So let's look at hearing first. Uh, the, Paul wrote this in the book of Romans. He said, faith comes from hearing the message. And that's what, that's what we're about here today because my prayer is that today our faith is going to be at a higher level and that message is heard through the word of Christ. So now you see why I am so passionate about being Bible-based and Jesus-focused, because right there again, it's about the Bible, and it's about Jesus. And when you hear the message, when you hear the Scriptures, when you hear the Word of God about Jesus, faith is initiated. And it's pretty cool how that works. The entire Bible, I mean, it's, it's the whole story of Jesus. And so when we hear and we listen to the Bible, our stories in the Bible, and we get into those stories, we, we begin to see and hear the stories of faith, and then it initiates our faith. So the truth is, you're wise to be in church today because one of the most important things we do is to share the Scriptures because we need faith. So we hear the word of God. That's how faith is initiated. Now, next, the second part is speaking. We speak the word of God, and what does that do? That activates faith. Now, here in Fort Worth, Texas, this point has been very well taught and retaught and retaught, but just because it's been overtaught in our city does not mean that it's not true because it is true. It was something that was a little different. When I was a kid, I didn't really hear about this, but it's, it's in the Bible, and it's true. And now, 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 speaking God's word doesn't mean that you're sitting around in a circle holding candles, doing some kind of a chant or anything like that. I mean, that's just kind of weird, oh, whatever. But, but, but what you need to do is to take God's word that helped you initiate your faith, and then you begin to speak it. Now, this becomes your responsibility. 
And it's partially my responsibility to help you hear God's word, but you have the responsibility to be present and to hear it also. But this one is all your responsibility. I don't play any part in it except encouraging you to do it. You need to speak the word. Now, when a military, political, spiritual leader by the name of Joshua was leading God's people out of the desert and into the promised land, God told this to Joshua. He said, keep this book of the law always on your lips. Meditate on it day and night so that you may be careful to do everything written in it. Then you will be prosperous and successful. Keep it on your lips. Say it to yourself. Say it. My best preaching, I'm telling you, it is not my best preaching is not to you. My best preaching is to me because I do my best to keep God's word on my lips every day. I preach God's word to me. And I'll tell you what, you guys are preachers too. And I want you to start preaching to yourself. Start doing it. Years ago when I was a children's pastor at a large church here in the Metroplex, several years ago, there was this little eight-year-old girl by the name of Amy. And Amy was diagnosed with a rare cancer. And Amy was literally dying before our eyes. And we watched her get sick and more sick and more sick and more sick. And after her cancer was discovered, little Amy had to make multiple trips to the Children's Medical Center in Dallas, Children's Hospital. And every time Amy had her treatments, Rebecca and I would go and see little Amy. I'm telling you, many, many times she was so sick, she would just hide her head under the covers, wouldn't even come out. We learned a little trick, and that was to bring Preston with us. Preston was a little baby then. He's not a baby anymore, but he's just a little baby. So Rebecca would do something. She would dress him up to the hilt in the coolest clothes, fix his hair, get him looking good, because it would cheer her up. She would see him. She would see us like, hi, and she would see him like, oh, there he is. Whatever we could do to bring a smile on that precious little girl's face. But see, Amy had parents who understood this principle of speaking God's word. And they taught her to memorize scriptures so this girl could preach to herself. And her favorite scripture was posted on the hospital door. She had made it herself with her colored markers. And these were the words that were on her hospital door. I will not die, but live and proclaim what the Lord has done. Rebecca and I, we, we would go to the door, we would, and we would sometimes just see that there, and we would stand outside, and tears would fill our eyes, because the doctors didn't agree with that statement. Amy and her family, they had faith, and, and we had faith, but then she took that scripture, and she made that hers. She just owned it. This little eight-year-old girl would quote that scripture to us, and she would lay there on her bed with not a hair on her head, pale, weak, frail, sickly. 
Amy was healed. In fact, her story even made medical journals. Today, Amy's married to a wonderful husband. Amy's been blessed with two handsome young boys. Amy is healed. Amy did not die. Amy lived. And Amy proclaims what the Lord has done. Hey, listen, quit telling God how big your mountain is and start telling your mountain how big your God is and what your future looks like. So speaking the word activates faith. And the last thing is that doing the word demonstrates faith. I've already mentioned it, but James, Jesus' brother, talks a lot about it. And he also wrote these words. He says, as the body without the spirit is dead, so faith without deeds is dead. In other words, it's a stinking corpse, and that's really kind of gross. Remember a couple weeks ago, I shared this message I called the perfect storm, and it's when Jesus' disciples were in this boat in this huge lake during the storm, and Jesus came out there walking on the water, and they all freaked out. It's a ghost. It's a ghost. Jesus said, don't be afraid. It's me. But then Peter said, it's kind of cool. He says, if it's you, then tell me to come out there and walk on the water. And Jesus said, come on. That's all he says. Come on. Come on. And Peter crawled out of the boat and began walking on water in the middle of the storm toward Jesus. See, he moved beyond hope. He didn't just think about faith. He heard the initiating word of Jesus. He then spoke it, activating his faith. And then he got out of the boat and he took action, doing what had actually he demonstrated his faith. He walked on water. That's pretty cool. And I'm going to tell you, my friend, that right there is legitimate faith. But Peter did not have faith until he put his foot on the water. That's when faith actually begins taking action. And there's some things that some of you need to take action on. Because I tell you, I, I want to hear it. I want to speak it. I want to do it. And that's the kind of faith that I want for me. That's what I want for my family. That's what I want for this church. I believe that God wants that for you too. Some of you, there's a faith situation that's just... You just don't know what you're going to do, and you've been pondering it, thinking about it, praying about it, and there's action that some of you needs to take. Some of you need to take. God is even showing you specifics. I need to do this now, this week, today. In fact, we're going to sing this song, Give Me Faith, in just a moment, and as we do, I'm going to ask for those who pray for people to come and stand on the sides of the platform, and, and, and during this song, if you need prayer, you need someone to pray with you about something. That is an action associated with faith because you actually move. You move your feet. You just, I, I, want, I want, I need some prayer. And, and then when you leave here, there's things you need to do about it. You need to do it. I'm not promising everything's going to come out just perfect the way you imagine or plan because the Bible doesn't say that it does that, that at all. But that's where faith begins. Faith begins when you move your feet and you take some action. What's... God telling you to do today to make your faith genuine. I'd like for us to all stand. I want to pray right now for you and those who lead prayer, I want you to come to the front. God, I pray right now for as we sing this song and as we even receive prayer that you will speak to the hearts and lives of every one of us. We're going to sing this song, Give Me Faith. And God, we want that. We want that faith. We want faith that, that, is, that is causing our feet to move and we're doing something about it. 
moving beyond the speculating, moving beyond the thinking about it, and moving past even the praying about it to doing something. God, God, I pray that that will become complete in our lives and our hearts and that we will truly be people of faith that you'll work in our hearts and lives like never, ever before. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's sing this song. If you'd like prayer, please come to the front now.